everyone, welcome to this Twitter Space session by Alpha Wunschdao, and this session will uh, be focused on the future of AI and Web3. Moreover, we also have our special guest right here with us today. Please welcome Daryl Wong. Hello, Daryl. How are you doing? GM. I know it's late nighttime for Asians, but you know, GM regardless. Yep. <laughs> so, in case any uh, someone here doesn't know who you are. Could you please um, give a little introduction about yourself and why you're in the crypto space? Yeah, so a uh, brief TLDR. Um, my name is Daryl. Um, uh, I was a principal at Defiance Capital until recently. I'm currently an independent angel investor in the space. Uh, I joined crypto in sort of mid-2020. Um, have been very active in uh, during DeFi summer um, and throughout since then. Um, sort of generally playing in the DeFi and GameFi uh, sort of verticals. I have tried my hand at NFTs and have been a complete sucker at it. So typically, you know, sticking to what I what, what I do best, which is the liquid tokens. Thank you for that. And let's begin with the first question. So Daryl, you've been a long time investor in Web3. Since DeFi summer in 2020, when Alpha was born, DeFi has taken a backseat role as the market moves towards Metaverse and GameFi. So the question is, is DeFi dead in your view? That's a, that's a loaded question. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. no, I don't think DeFi is dead in my view. I think this current form probably needs to go through a couple of pivots in order to attract the next, uh, call it, the next 100 million users. I think Web3 Web in general has so much friction in terms of onboarding user experience, uh, you know, be it, you know, just the onboarding, it, in just the onboarding stage or the security stage that having a significant sunset on chain comes with considerable risk. And I think we've sort of hit the point where, you know, the early adopters are willing to bring on this risk or take on this risk, but in order to reach the next hundred million or a billion users, we're probably going to have to solve that problem before, you know, we see any meaningful adoption from both retail and traditional finance uh, in the DeFi space. Any specific solutions uh, you think that it for to to onboard more people onto Web three? Yeah, I think um, some form of I, you know, it, it, and it goes against sort of the decentralized ethos, but some form of centralized counterparty to to custody funds would probably be a middle ground, a sort of, sort of Web two point five uh, that we probably need in order to to onboard new users who are not. Uh, call it crypto native and not familiar with on-chain custody. I think on-chain custody is just a problem which the average, you know, in the person in the world would not want to deal with. Um, so that that problem has to be solved uh, before we can really get to you know moving to, to to make sure that you know everybody has access to DeFi. Right. I see. Thank you. Well, let's touch on upon the network itself. So DeFi on Ethereum has been well-built, but the pace of development is vastly different across different blockchains, right? Avalanche and Solana have been the top choice for newer dApps. On the other hand, Terra is still largely on tap. On the Terra ecosystem, there are less than 10 dApps with more than 100 million in TBL. So what are some of the opportunities in DeFi that you see in the non-Ethereum ecosystems? Um, I think... The distinction between Ethereum and non-ecosystems is not 
particularly meaningful. I think one of the reasons is um well well the reason why you move off Ethereum is because of of cost concerns and scaling concerns. Uh, with layer two is coming onto the Ethereum, you know, th- those problems are more or less mitigated. So so I guess you know th- there isn't like a, a very specific distinction there. Um, in in opportunities I see in broader DeFi at the moment will be sort of moving past. Uh, general liquidity mining or DEXs or, or borrow lending protocols and, and moving to sort of uh, a later stage, which involves sort of more sophisticated uh, stakeholders to come on board. I think in we're more likely to see traditional finance capital flow in uh, when uh, and, and, and the opportunities that present themselves there will likely push uh, DeFi's adoption uh, forward. So I'm I'm inclined to believe that you know we target TradFi as a means of growth as opposed to retail. I think retail is quite clearly going down the NFT path, um, and DeFi will sort of be be handled by the sophisticated financial market participants. Well, this ties in uh, perfectly for the next question. So, do you think that I mean, what what do you think will drive the next bull market, or like the future? What will the future of DeFi look like? I see that so, you mentioned NFT, right? Yeah. So I think uh, okay, in broader in the broader case for DeFi, the single biggest headwind today is regulation. Uh, we need to solve that problem from a global and a local perspective. Um, you know, right now protocols are so afraid to launch tokens or to imbue utility within those tokens that they don't even do the bare necessity. Like, very simple example, uh, Uniswap not bothering to turn on its P-switch. And this is not because they don't care. This is because they're very concerned with uh, how that makes the Uniswap token act like a security. So until we get that regulation out of the way, uh, I think DeFi is going to suffer quite a bit um, simply because people who want to speculate or people who want to allocate capital are unwilling to allocate it in areas which, you know, where, where there is no regulatory certainty. I think that's something that is very, very important for broader DeFi. Um, in sort of the short to middle term, I think where DeFi can really take off is when it crosses over with NFTs. So I, I adopt this NFT financialization in the sense that, uh, you know, you can start using, um, you know, NFTs to as sort of productive assets to a certain extent, and then you, uh, when they become take on characteristics that allow for financial uh, use. So games are a perfect sort of segue that allow that to happen. So very simply, um, for the simple, you know, the V one of game five which is you know call it actually uh you know that is a prime example of how someone can use a productive gaming asset to obtain income uh, in the future you know we do expect the model to change as games move from a free from a play to earn model to a free to a pay uh to a play and earn model but i think this is going to be a very very interesting aspect uh, because you know, once once you start unlocking the value of, of gaming assets, you can start you know thinking about how you acquire a mortgage to buy a more expensive gaming asset that you can pay off while playing the game, or you can you know list your gaming asset down as collateral to take out a loan to do something else. Uh, 
So these are all still very untapped markets, largely because the market today for NFTs is still very, very small. Um, if you think about it, the biggest collection is Basie, right? Basie is, what, 150 ETH floor times 10,000. Uh, that's, that's, you know, far smaller than, you know, any of the large companies out, uh, out there today. So, so we still have quite a bit of growth to go to. And with that growth, I expect NFT financialization to play a meaningful part uh, in sort of how DeFi can take off with NFTs. Well, thank you for that, um, Daryl. That was a very insightful answer from you. Now, I, I want to know more about the infrastructure of the future of NFT market, right? So, so you know that DeFi Lego is what we commonly refer to when we're talking about the DeFi infrastructure. Well, it means like for a DeFi to work, different protocols are pieced together to create a DeFi application. So the question is, what will the NFT infrastructure look like in the future? Right. So right now, um, most NFTs or NFTs we say are basically profile pictures. That is your first inning and what NFTs can represent as a form of an ownership asset in your life. So as with, with profile pictures today, you know, the well the, the, the main characteristic of NFTs right now is that there are floor NFTs and then there are non-floor NFTs. So the key building blocks for let's say trading would be your market basis and your you know AMMs for floor NFTs. Right now we really haven't seen AMMs work in a meaningful way simply because I think there's a lot of friction and a lot of slippage that is involved with Uniswap V2 mechanics uh, for floor NFTs. But with the introduction of pseudoswap that is supposed to come out, I do expect to see a material improvement uh, via concentrated liquidity mechanisms. Apart from that, your peer-to-peer market-based transactions are really dominating the space. That is, your open seas, um, looks rare, and, and the other generic marketplaces that you have out there today. But, you know, apart from the trading aspect, another very simple primitive that you can use is lending or borrowing NFTs. Um, and in this case, once again, uh, you have your peer-to-peer and your peer-to-pool uh, sort of sub-verticals. In your peer-to-peer sub-vertical, uh, the main lending protocol that is dominating market share today uh, is NFTFi, uh, but there's a new one coming out called Arcade. I'm not sure what it's called, Arcade Galaxy or just Arcade, but these are the two main peer-to-peer lending uh, protocols that you can uh, basically put down your NFT as collateral and then borrow ETH or borrow USDC or borrow DAI. Um, and then in your peer-to-pool category, I think the most famous one right now is JPEG, uh, which has, it's sort of like an Aave variant um, of for NFTs where you mint your own, no, sorry, it's not Aave variant, it's like your maker variant uh, when you mint your own stablecoin. So those are the key primitives we see today. I don't expect us to see, well, I do expect us to see, you know, ancillary building blocks building on top of that, but that's getting into quite the nitty-gritty, so I think we'll skip that for now. Mm, I see. Um, the reason that I asked about um, NFT is because um, a lot of people that I that I see who are builders, they are trying to tackle the NFT landscape uh, very much uh, rather than DeFi. So yeah, I think in the future, more people and more products will govern around the NFT technology. So 
yeah, before we go into the next question, let me give a little introduction about our current event that is going on. So Alpha Venture DAO, Terra, Hash, and Coin98 collaboratively create a hackathon event that is focused solely on Terra and Asia for uh, Asia continent. So this hackathon is pretty unique from other hackathons where winners or even the projects uh, participating in this hackathon event may get a chance to get incubated by the Alpha Incubation Program as well as getting seed fund from Terraform apps. So if you're interested, go check out our pin post on our account and register for it. With that out of the way, so the next question for you, Daryl. So, you know, as I mentioned, many developers are keen to work with NFT, right? But when building an NFT project, the key thing is to make the project last longer than just building a one-time off collection. So what are some things that you look for when making an investment decision in the NFT space? All right, I'm probably not the best person to ask this because I'm a horrible NFT trader. <laughs> um, but, okay, so so right now I'm focused on investing in the NFT infra stack. Um, that's where, you know, people are building protocols that, you know, allow or enhance the ability for people to trade, speculate, own and use NFTs, uh, you know, today and in the future. If I were to look at a specific NFT project, I think right now, actually, many projects are in quite a bit of a pickle simply because there is no playbook yet to determine what is considered a successful NFT project apart from, like, call it Basie. Um, the idea, conceptually, I would, if I were to start looking at stuff, and I think, you know, Moonbirds makes a very good attempt at this, which is why they've seen so much success, is the more than just a collection, you're building a movement, you're building a brand. Um, that is what I would imagine I would want to invest in. If let's say I were to seriously you know, put in capital into an NFT collection. Um, the NFT collection ref reflects or represents my ownership stake in this new brand that the company that developed the collection is building. So I fully expect in the next three to five years, your next version of Supreme, for example, or you know Balenciaga, will be or will come from a media company associated with NFTs. Uh, this seems like a very obvious logical choice to me, simply because of the rarity or the proof of ownership that uh, comes with NFTs. I think this is a very powerful mechanism that allows for you know sort of a sort of who's who uh, uh, dynamic where, you know, if you, if for example, if you own a Basie, you are invited to, you know, the Soho clubs, the Soho houses of the world. Uh, I think that's a super cool concept, uh, uh, proof of ownership, that is. So, you know, that, that is something I'd look to see. Uh, and this is non-tangible utility. I think this is very important. The very important distinction here because for conventional tokens, you're looking for tangible utility. You're looking for dollars may be in terms of dividends or, or something else, right? When you're investing in a DeFi token. But for NFTs, you're looking for intangible utility. Uh, do you get access to other to things that other people don't get? How do you value those things? Everything's a lot more subjective and which is why difficult to evaluate. But, you know, where I fall short, other people do, you know, very, very well. So maybe you can ask them about, you know, how to spot the next moonbirds. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. Now, what about opportunities in F NFT? 
what what do you think um, people should have built, uh, which is untapped still now uh, in the NFC landscape? So, well, it's not so much uh, people haven't built. I know teams are building, but I think music NFTs make a lot of sense. Um, and I, I know there are a couple already trying to build this uh, sound, royal, etc. Uh, but I don't think anybody has really cracked it yet. And I think once the right team manages to crack the difficulty of combining audio and visual uh, content and package it in a way that the mass market can uh, easily receive, that will be huge because the existing music industry is pretty broken in a sense that you know Spotify you know retains so much value and the artists that produce their content you know earn a fraction of what they could be earning if they were to decentralize out uh, or do away with the middleman line. So you know for for that for that project that comes out to dominate that space, I think that's gonna be really, really massive. So um music NFTs is something I'm pretty interested in uh, right now. What about um other other items rather than arts? Because music uh, is also art, right? Do you see any use for NST other than art? Oh yeah, I mean, if you look at you know simple, simple real world applications, uh, you know, one very easy, very easy thing is you know real world ownership of assets. But that has been tried and tested quite a bit. I think since twenty eighteen, to no success. I'm not super sure why that is the case. Uh, I think perhaps with token incentives, things could change, but you know, I haven't really seen a promising idea to onboard real-world assets, uh, for example, like mortgages uh, and you know, packaged loans, for example, and, and pitch it as an NFT or, bubble, or the sort of bespoke bonds, for example, and package that as an NFT. Um, so a lot of things there that is pretty underexplored. Um, I'm not an expert in that, but I am keen to learn more if I do see the right team building in their space. Gotcha. Thank you for that. Now let's let's um take it back to back to the DeFi. Um, so one thing, one of the key things for a customer acquisition is the liquidity liquidity mining for DeFi, right? Liquidity mining or token distribution strategy is the key uh, to DeFi projects. Has that changed over the past year? I think the market is widening up that simple high APY strategies that reduce time will not work at retaining users over the long term. Uh, capital, as we have learned, is very predatory. So you're going to need to have more than just you know, financial incentives to onboard users. Ultimately, I think what we're seeing now uh, is the beginning of you know using not using liquidity incentives at the start of a new service just to prove and test raw product market fit, right? Before you layer on incentives to turbocharge growth. I think where incentives really shine is when you're trying to move instead of from zero to one, from one to a hundred, right? When you figure out a model that works and then you turbocharge its, incentive to, its incentives, that's when you can really re- achieve parabolic growth. The problem with DeFi protocols today is they, they try and shortcut the original step, right? That zero to one step of finding sustainable raw product market fit. And they go straight to the incentives because sometimes, you know, projects just want a quick pump 
um, for the founders to exit or you know perhaps they were guided wrongly by by you know wrong advisors so for me i think this is a step where protocols look at you know unincentivized traction before we you know we we, we use incentives as a growth uh, or a customer acquisition strategy yeah so since you mentioned about uh how to build a product um from zero to one right and one of of the um, important factor for building a project is also the tokenomics design, right? Because every project must have their own tokens and stuff. So what do you think are the best practice for tokenomics design? That is a very, very broad question. <laughs> um, Just some ideas. Well, I think the first, you should imbue utility into your token. There has to be a reason why people hold your token. I think that's something that a lot of protocols fail to acknowledge or fail to cater to. And so you, there are some examples in the market today where actually the the, the fantastic, but because there is no reason to hold the token, the token looks like it's a complete scam. And there are countless, there are many, many of, of these examples. And I'm sure, you know, the listeners here would feel, you know, that I'm talking about some of their bags. Uh, but this is something that you know should be addressed. And the problem now is how do you design utility in a sustainable way? Uh, slapping on staking, if, if you read Kobe's latest post about you know staking tokenomics, is not the way to go on a long-term basis. I think using or creating artificial token supply sinks to tide over a protocol's rush is a viable strategy, but it's not a sustainable one. So token utility, be it in the form of dividends, in the form of you know increased rewards via you know the V curve model, uh, be it in the form of you know non financial intangibles such as you know being eligible for NFT drops, for example. I think these all of these things uh, make sense. Um, but yeah, so so that needs to definitely be there in some shape or form for all protocols. And if you don't have that in twenty twenty two, you are going to lose out. What about for Metaverse and GameFi projects? I see that like, like Axie Infinity also have their own tokens, right? Is the tokenomics design the same for Metaverse and GameFi projects? I think GameFi is very, very situational because of the different incentive design that each game has. There is no broad sweep that I can say most games do because you know some have two token designs, some have one token design, some have three token designs, so it's very, very subjective. Metaverse tokens, oh, that's a tricky one. I don't see any Metaverse token with any utility whatsoever. It's pure speculation right now, and I think it's a massive bubble. <laughs> <laughs> you think so? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, speculation as your main source of utility will... It's very binary, I feel. It's either you get to Dogecoin's level where the token simply exists based off speculation or it goes to zero. And so for most protocols out there, I would recommend that you know you don't focus on having the token's main value as being speculation uh, because when that is taken away, then you really feel the pain um, when, when basically your, your token holders in your community leaves you. Right, gotcha. 
Now, since you have been talking about um, different different um, insights to us today, I just want to know like the key things that you look for when analyzing investments. So, well, I, so there are always three things that I look for in a, in a secondary market trade that I need to I need to take before I make the trade. So the first one is a underlying thesis. I have to have a view that is a differentiated view of the market, which is substantiated by quantitative or qualitative data. I think this is very important and this is the foundation for every investment thesis. The second thing is there should be a up and coming catalyst that will either crystallize that thesis or um, is an ancillary catalyst that will potentially help uh, the token price. And the last thing is overarching industry tailwinds that sort of act like a rising tide lifts all boat buffer um, because you don't want to be, I mean, I've seen a couple of very convincing investment opportunities with, you know, very strong industry headwinds and very, it's very, very difficult to swim upstream. It's much easier to swim downstream. And so, you know, you typically find industries that are, you know, on the rise um, and find you know, convincing bets in that industry as opposed to forcing a very sort of a value investment in a unloved industry and hoping that it turns. Um, you know, they're obviously investors good at doing both. Um, I prefer, you know, to, 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 to swim with the tide as opposed to against it. Wow, thank you for that. Um, let me touch on upon uh, the questions about the hackathon for, for the participants of this event more. So what aspects do you need to pay attention to in order to build a successful project during the early phase? So let me think about it. I think, so whatever I just spoke about on the secondary market, I think that is, okay, no. So being a secondary market trader and being a VC looking at primary markets is, I would say, completely separate skill sets. It is very, very different. You need to look at, uh, you know, the priority and focus on the business model and team ability and track record is probably very, very important. Uh, I would say, and this is just from an, from a, from an investor point of view. Did I get your question correct? Is this asking from an investor's point of view or is this asking from someone else's point of view? Um, no, just from a, uh, a participant of this hackathon event. Let's say, let's say if they want to win the hackathon event and uh, they have like, so little time to, to hack the project itself, like, what, what um, aspect do they have to like, focus on in order to be successful? Ah, okay. Well, the uh, the easiest thing is actually convincing people that your idea or your project is not a one-off. I think too many, too many hackathon entries uh, are born out of you know certain sort of randomness and like you know people just say okay no let's just try and do something. But investors are not interested in supporting people who you know out of the blue or out of the whim. Just try and build something for fun. Um, I think you need to be serious. You need to have a long-term goal and vision and use this hackathon as a entry point into the industry to get your name out there. So 
basically communicate that you're serious, um, you're in it for the long haul, and you'll be building this with or without winning the hackathon. I think that will get, uh, you know, the proper interest from investors. What about um, the area that they should keep out for? Like, uh, what what kind of projects that you think it will not uh, sustain in 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 this year and the in the future's trend? So I think building, um, sort of call it, minorly improved or, or marginally improved solutions, probably won't really cut it anymore this year. I feel so. If you know, let's say. You're trying to build a DEX with slightly better slippage, for example. Um, I I don't think that's a good enough differentiator in order to sort of outcompete the network effects of incumbents at the moment. So instead of trying that is you know ten percent better than than the competition out there, you know you should be trying to look at ideas that you know really haven't been attempted before. And and this is obviously significantly harder to do, uh, but it's sort of the things. The, the projects that I'm interested in the most when I'm looking at investments in the primary markets. But um, in order to build a, a project that's um, new to the market, uh, do you have any tips on validating your assumptions on the, you think this project of yours will, will be a, a, and you think fits the market demand or not? So I think, so this is super important and ideating and valid, verifying product market fit is probably one of the most important things you can do. And this is where I think Web2 founders excel a lot better than Web3 founders simply because of their training. Um, I think Web3 founders you know, believe you build it and they will come. Uh, that is not the case for most, most, uh, most situations. So you know, the most important thing you can do is identify who your users of your project are and relentlessly ask them about their pain points. I, I don't think you should ask them, will you use our product? Just ask them, what are their biggest pain points today? And see whether your product solves that, that problem. So you'll find that the, the pain point that you're trying to solve may not actually be that big a deal after all. Because, and, and if it's not the case, very likely your users are not going to use you. If, you know, if I, if, unless your solution makes my life significantly easier, um, it's highly unlikely I will actually, you know, onboard a new product or, or use a new product um, that that I haven't used before. Because I think user adoption and friction is actually, original user adoption, getting your first 100 users is much harder uh, to be done than most people expect. Mm, I see. Thank you for that, uh, Daryl. Now, before we go open the floor for um, everyone to ask um questions to Daryl. I just want to know um, on your thoughts about the Alpha Incubate program. So just to give a rough introduction about the program itself. So Alpha program will help build uh, from zero to one, one to a hundred, right? Um, what do you think uh, Alpha Incubate program can give to founders that you cannot get from VCs? So I think one thing that we're seeing a uh, a major pain point of is that VCs don't offer sufficient help to early stage projects. Um, and this is just because they don't have enough time, they have too many portfolio companies and maybe just check sizes don't make sense for them. But if you take a look at you know how Alpha is structuring things, they're really approaching it from a builder's mindset. And because of their experience 
in looking at, you know, at building and supporting previous protocols that have achieved success before. They know exactly what the pitfalls are for Web3 um, and, and can guide you accordingly. Thank you for that, Daryl. Wow, it's been so nice uh, to finally have a chance to talk to you. And your answers are very insightful, and I'm pretty sure everyone here learned quite a lot today. Now, um, let's open the floor for everyone to ask more questions from you and get more insights from you, if that's okay with you. Yeah, sure. Pleasure, pleasure to be on, man. Okay, let's begin with the first question from Rushpat. You may speak now, Rushpat. Hello, can you hear me? Yo, you Hey, uh, thank you for doing this. Um, so I'm, I'm participating in this hackathon as well, and I'm building a healthcare platform. So um, if people in here want to check that out, that'd be cool too. But uh, my question is, as I'm building this, I'm realizing that probably one of the most scarce resource in Cryptoverse right now, uh, devs, good devs. So from your experience, what is a good way to attract a prod? devs to your project because a project can be a good good devs backing it then there's a good chance that it'll fail right like the idea can be amazing but if you don't have devs then it will fail so w what have you seen as like a good way to attract devs and build relationships and uh how have them participate in your protocol how build the protocol that's uh okay so i think so i I, I can't comment from like a first person point of view because I haven't built a startup before. But what I can say looking at a couple of my portfolios is number one, you need a very strong CTO. I think the CTO really sets the benchmark for quality control within the protocol. Um, if you if you have a CTO that doesn't know what he's doing, even if you do attract the devs, they're quickly going to realize that they're working for someone that doesn't know what they're doing and they're going to leave. Uh, that's just the nature of the space. So that's where you start. And um, I think... I think one way of looking to approach or hire new devs is, or at least in, in my experience, it's far easier acquiring like Web2 top talent and then moving them or teaching them or giving them the space to learn Solidity or Rust or whatever it is, or whatever smart contract language you need to learn, um, as opposed actually looking at like your average Web3 developer. And this is, I think, a pretty conservative view, but... Uh, basically, if you if you take the top 10% of dev talent in Web2 and you train them to become Web3, they make their life significantly easier than if you take like a random Web3 dev. Because Web2, like the top, the top uh, Web2 devs have, you know, very structured processes. They come from, you know, Facebook, Google, uh, you know, YouTube, what, what have you. They're, they're trained really well. Um, and they, I think, probably be able to improve the internal standards, uh, the internal uh, coding standards you have within the protocol as well but obviously this is all secondary information because i have not protocol and have i have not hired devs before got it thank you thank you Rushpat, for your question if anybody have a question for daryl or for alpha feel free to request to speak and i'll grant you permission to speak While we wait, um, Alpha just posted a post about GatherTown. So if you are participating in the Hackathon event, feel free to join GatherTown to meet other people and also find your teammates. <laughs>